So welcome everyone to Healthcare Consequences, the monthly Massachusetts health policy podcast sponsored by Mass Inc and Commonwealth Magazine. My name is John McDonough. I'm with the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. I'm joined by my co-conspirator, Paul Haddis from the Lown Institute. And we are delighted and thrilled today to welcome as our guest, uh, Ms. Audrey Gasteyer, who is about six months or so, a little less into the executive directorship of the Massachusetts Health Connector. Um, Audrey is a uh, Massachusetts native. She came um, to the state back in about 2008. She's been in, so about 15 years in state government and about 11 years at the Connector in different roles, uh, chiefly as the chief of policy and strategy. Uh, in the past year, she's been the deputy executive director, then the acting executive director. And in March, uh, Governor Maura Healy appointed her as the full-time executive director, replacing the highly respected and esteemed Luis Gutierrez, who did some wonderful work there. So welcome, Audrey, and thanks for uh, joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be here. So as I mentioned, you've been at The Connector since 2012. What's it like for you? What do you see what's different in terms of being in the executive director role um, that, uh, that is noteworthy and striking to you, maybe surprising? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I have been at The Connector for a long time, 11 years. Um, and even prior to that, you mentioned that I've been around in state government and health policy for even longer than that. And I actually started at The Connector in uh, 2007 as an intern while I was getting my, uh, my graduate degree in health policy. So I sat at a folding table in a hallway here at The Connector offices um, while I was getting my degree. And that kind of kickstarted my, my career in state government on health policy. And then I, I came back um, permanently to The Connector, as you noted, back in, in 2012. So I have been around for a while. I've had the, the privilege of being a part of health policy and health reform coverage expansion really for the better part of the last 15, 16 years here in the Commonwealth, chiefly here at The Connector. Um, so I'm no stranger to the work, certainly. And as you noted, I had the privilege of being Luis Gutierrez's um, deputy um, over the last year and obviously working closely with him over the last um, eight years uh, prior to that. So I had a, a fantastic training ground uh, and having been through every iteration of type of state reform, federal reform, every permutation you can think of in terms of um, different types of leadership and, and chapters of health reform um, here in the Commonwealth. That being said, it is different to step into the executive director role, certainly in that permanent capacity. Huge, huge privilege and honor to be appointed by Secretary Walsh and the Healy Driscoll administration have the support of my board. For me, what's different coming into it is really the widening of my aperture, going from being predominantly a policy person through my career. Um, and I always had a front row seat to implementation and operations and technology and how inextricably those pieces of government are linked to policy. Policy means nothing if it is not implemented and executed well and sufficiently. Um, but now that I've kind of come up through that policy kind of um, trunk, if you will, and now my responsibility is, of course, across this entire organization, which is in many ways a policy construct. The connector exists for a belief, for a policy belief, which is that every resident in the Commonwealth should have health coverage and people who don't get it in another way need a place to come for it. 
that's a policy idea. That's a policy belief that the Commonwealth um, manifested through the connector. But that being said, policy aside, at the end of the day, it's a technology operation and essentially a financial services organization. So I would say one of the biggest um, developments for me in coming into this role is just my the incredible deepening of my appreciation for and and knowledge about as I'm as I'm learning and growing um, as well in those operations, financial and and kind of structural um, technology pieces for the connector and appreciating that again, the policy piece is critical. We have to have big ideas. We need to always be pushing forward on that front, but it is so critical that we get those basic functions right. Otherwise the policy falls apart. Um, so that's probably I mean, the I biggest can... the biggest change for me. Let me let me let me dilate on that issue for a moment. First of all, let me add my words of welcome, and um, you know, and you have a long tenure, as you note, at the connector, often called health exchanges or marketplaces, to extent they in, in other states uh, in, in the country. And as you said, you've been there since a long time, including during sort of the shakier period of 2013 to 17, when exchanges had. Um, were, were, were politically uh, of interest and often, you know, in focus positively and negatively in some people's minds around the country. And we had our own technical issues in Massachusetts here during during that period. But um, in recent years, really, uh, there seems to be a lot less public attention on exchanges across the country and even our own connector. And as you talked about it as a policy, reflecting policy issues, but drill into it for a moment, if you would, about how you actually carry out that policy work to serve the residents of this state. Sure. So what the connector is, is an exchange or a marketplace. And you hear those terms used kind of inter, inter um, interchangeably. And what it is, is it's an entity that any resident in the state can come to to get health coverage. And um, we typically think about the people who need to come to exchanges or marketplaces for coverage as people who don't have another source of coverage elsewhere through another program or, or source. So you don't get covered through your job, you're not on Medicare, you're not on Medicaid, you don't have coverage through the VA. The health connector and marketplaces like us across the country are where you come. And John, I've even heard you describe it um, as sort of the state's HR department, um, where where you come if you don't have another kind of in front of you option for health coverage. Um, kind of the walking around number I use for people in terms of who we cover is about a quarter million people. We're a little bit less than that right now. We'll talk, I'm sure, more about the Medicaid redetermination process and the, the role of the federal public health emergency and kind of the, uh, the composition of the market and where people are covered right now today. Um, but that's really what the health connector is. So it's a marketplace that by design puts buyers and sellers on kind of equal footing and really was designed to give more power to the consumer. The connector takes out all the legwork from consumers and residents in having to understand health insurance coverage options where there's fine print or you're not sure what you're comparing one thing to another. Um, so the concept of marketplaces was really designed to allow people to come to one place where all of the coverage is pre-vetted, pre-curated. Um, we have all of the Massachusetts insurance carriers on our shelf here at the Health Connector. That's not true in other states. I'm happy to talk more about why that's the case. Um, but we have every carrier here. So you can be a regular person. You just don't happen to have coverage in another place. You come to the Health Connector. We make the entire market available to you in an organized, curated way. So you can make informed comparisons between coverage options that are, again, pre-vetted. You don't have to worry about the fine print. These have the Commonwealth seal of approval. 
they are safe plans. There's not going to be surprises where, you know, something, something essential isn't covered and you end up with big medical bills. The kind of worries people had in the insurance market before Massachusetts health reform, before the Affordable Care Act. And importantly, for marketplaces and exchanges like the Health Connector, it's the only place people can get help paying for coverage. So lowering their premiums, lowering their cost sharing. Um, and we play a really vital role too in bridging between the Medicaid program, which of course services very low income individuals and particular populations and sort of the broader commercial market. So we're kind of situated in between there, but we take all comers, anybody of any income, income can come to the connector and most people qualify for paying for it. So that's kind of the marketplace part of what we do. And I'm happy to talk more about the kind of policy tools that we have around the, the margins of that that also relate to our role broadly. Well, before we move to that structurally, what portion of people who buy through the connector are, are not buying a subsidized product uh, in one form or another? So it's a minority. I, I would say it's probably around a quarter or a third of people are without okay. subsidy. I should note that the, the portion of our population that qualify for and receive subsidies went up significantly after the passage of the American Rescue Plan. Um, and that was because the Affordable Care Act's premium subsidies were expanded to be uh, more and more people became eligible for them and they were made more generous, which was a terrific step forward in terms of coverage and access, not just in Massachusetts, of course, across the whole country. Um, but so many people who were on exchange previously but never qualified for a subsidy suddenly one day they woke up and they had a subsidy and that that help really meant a lot um, to a lot of people here in the Commonwealth. Well, well let's let's dive a little bit more into the the current uh, issues that you know you're facing as we know in the middle of May the official uh, COVID-19 pandemic emergency ended and so in our state and across the country that's been a lot of people that had a Medicaid card given to them during the pandemic in fact, redeterminations going on, and you know, and many are losing them already. In in some parts of the country, you're seeing a little bit of a chaotic and worrisome process around that, as maybe hundreds of thousands of people are just being dropped off their state's Medicaid rolls. In Massachusetts, um, there are people now disenrolling or have been disenrolled, and they likely are going to be coming if they haven't already to the connector. So, a, a few questions here. Tell us, if you would, from your vantage point, what you see happening a little bit nationally right now in this period, and then focus, it, if you would, in Massachusetts, what's what's going on with you know Medicaid folks who are losing coverage, and what does this really mean operationally for the connector right now? It's a great question, and this is definitely our topmost priority this year, as I, I know it is for marketplaces around the country and Medicaid programs. Of course, everybody in the health coverage landscape um, is or needs to be really, really laser focused on this topic. Um, the degree of coverage change, disruption, potential for loss is immense. Um, this is, in many ways, the biggest coverage event since implementation of the Affordable Care Act. Um, in terms of, of the changes and, and just dynamics we need to be really careful about in terms of making sure that coverage is preserved for people. Um, we've been getting ready really for the last three years for this. Basically, as soon as those protections went into place that you described, um, we knew that at some point when that federal public health emergency lifted, there would be a sort of snapback um, where lots of people who had gained eligibility for Medicaid coverage um, would not necessarily be able to keep it once redeterminations kicked off again. And I think um, 
you know, there is reason for worry nationally, as you noted, the numbers that we're starting to see in some of the states that have moved earlier. Um, there's a lot of concern about coverage loss. I know as we were heading into this period, there were estimates of between, I think it was eight and 20 million people losing Medicaid coverage nationally. Um, that doesn't mean those people won't land in some other type of coverage, but just that level of disruption is really, frankly, um, unprecedented. Um, so the level of focus on it, I think, is, is absolutely warranted. And again, some of those early states where we're seeing big coverage um, drops uh, is very worrying. I also think it's very telling because you can see the variation between states in terms of how they're approaching this event and this transition. Um, there is a lot of variation in terms of how um, carefully states are trying to keep people in coverage. I think candidly, there are some states that have been uh, don't particularly mind shedding folks off of their Medicaid rolls and aren't particularly concerned with where they land. Um, that's obviously not the case for Massachusetts, far from it. Um, and we've just put an incredible amount of work in, not just in these recent months building up to this um, this, this redetermination process that kicked off in April, but really for, for years thinking about it at the connector um, with our, our MassHealth colleagues. So what I would say is that it's still very early days in Massachusetts in terms of what we're seeing. We have a lot of advantages, though, structurally and in terms of kind of how we do healthcare here in Massachusetts that I think are really important to touch on. Um, obviously, we're a state that's incredibly committed to coverage. We have 97% of our residents in coverage. We don't want to see backsliding on that. We know that this process is going to be challenging. It will be complex, but we feel like we have a lot of tools and we're bringing them to bear and more every day in terms of trying to make sure that anybody who does lose mass health coverage through this process has a safe landing place whether that's at the connector, whether that's on a plan through their employer, uh, but we don't wanna see people uh, move from coverage to, to becoming uninsured. So some of the advantages we have that I'll touch on are, we have an integrated eligibility and enrollment system between MassHealth and the connector. That means when somebody loses MassHealth eligibility, they instantaneously find out if they qualify for a plan through the health connector. So that real-time kind of eligibility transfer is huge. And that's not true in many parts of the country, most parts of the country. Somebody has to separately apply for marketplace coverage. They have to find out about it. They have to become interested. They have to get the time. In Massachusetts, it's sort of transferred over. The person still needs to take an action. They may need to pay, you know, make a, a premium payment. But the fact that that's all kind of ensconced in one system, I think really benefits um, how we're approaching this here in Massachusetts. I would say our commitment to outreach and communication, um, you are already seeing and we'll see um, in, in increasing decibels, um, very strong messaging from the connector. Certainly Mass Health is in kind of a full tilt campaign with their own members that they're trying to get through the renewal process. But the connector, this is probably the loudest outreach campaign you'll see from the connector certainly since implementation of the ACA. We're doing community events, enrollment events, we're sending mobile outreach assisters around the state to every kind of pharmacy, town hall, library, um, uh, all kinds of venues will be on the radio, will be on TV, digital ads. You'll be seeing us on the T if not already. So it's a really strong commitment you're seeing from the Commonwealth to making sure people know, ah, I lost something. Here's where I go to get covered. So that's big. I would also say that um, 
the fact that our entire healthcare community is so laser focused on this really benefits us as well. This is not just an endeavor for Mass Health and the Health Connector, although we're obviously in the lead as the as the um, the the programs um, that you know if people are coming off of Mass Health potentially into connector coverage. But our carriers, our advocates, our provider community, um, everyone has been very forward leaning. Uh, it's really been a kind of all hands on deck approach so far. I know that will continue going forward, and I think that really behooves the Commonwealth um, in, in many ways. Um, so again, still early days, but we've been seeing um, strong activity from some of the individuals who actually proactively gone in and updated their, their accounts through MassHealth. Um, and uh, we've seen so far, just since April, about 9,000 people come over from MassHealth to the connector and, and effectuate an enrollment. That's a little bit more than we were even expecting for this time. So. Um, the top line here is it's still really early days, but we are seeing strong activity. And I think it's important for people to hear kind of the operations are holding here in terms of how we expected that movement to look. Um, customer service levels are strong. People can get help when they need it. We're fully committed to language access and, and all the different kinds of supports we know folks are going to need to get from point A to point B. What's a big bolus of people likely to come most uh, in, in on the calendar? So we're still in kind of that early um, kind of incline on the chart. So we're expecting more folks later in the summer and into the fall. And actually for the connector, there will be kind of a, a crescendo between some of that movement and our open enrollment period, which starts in November. So as we make our way through this year, the activity level is really going to ramp up between redeterminations and kind of the calendar, at least today, that we anticipate um, and how that intersects with our open enrollment period, which is when we're open for business for anybody who needs coverage in the Commonwealth. So even folks outside of this particular redetermination um, activity period as well. So Audrey, you mentioned Massachusetts has about 97% of residents covered with health insurance. So uh, about a 3% on insurance rate versus a national rate of about 8% these days. It's gone down a little bit over recent years. Um, and we do have the lowest rate among the 50 states. That's been true since 2007 when the 2006 universal healthcare law was implemented. Um, who are the uninsured? Uh, who, who's in that 3%? Um, and uh, it's been that way for a long time. Why is it so difficult to get those folks in? What's, what's going on in terms, of, uh, in terms of going even below 3%? Most of our peer countries around the world cover 99 to 100%. Um, is is three percent kind of like just the floor that you can't get below, or do you think it's possible to get below there? We think about this every day. That last three percent has been um, a challenge, and you're absolutely right. We've been kind of holding steady there for many years, and I think in terms of what we just spoke about with the redetermination period, right now there's a lot of focus on let's not lose ground on being at ninety-seven percent, but. We have not taken our eye off the ball and can't take our eye off the ball on that that last three percent. Um, I think that um, the demographic information, so kind of the easiest way to answer the question about who's in that three percent, it hasn't changed a lot in terms of what we see in the data. So it does tend to be younger individuals. It tends to be males. It tends to be um, has, Hispanic and Latino individuals. Um, we know it, it is um, disproportionately comprised of immigrants, um, both lawfully present and not. Um, so those things have sort of held true for some time. One new way we're thinking about this population that I would love to touch on is 
in the last few years, we saw some really compelling data about the uninsured. One of the things we saw in it was that about half of the uninsured, about half of that 3% are people who once had coverage through the Health Connector or MassHealth. So sometimes when we think about the uninsured, and this is true in Massachusetts, this is true nationally, people use this phrase hard to reach, the hard to reach population. And I've come to really um, uh, take issue with that term because the data shows they actually reached, they were covered, and then something went wrong and they fell out of coverage. So I think that we need to you know, continue to keep um, you know, full tilt on outreach and reaching out to people who've maybe never had coverage or don't think they need it, don't think they want it. That's important. That will always be a part of our ground game. But what that data showed us was we have work to do around the process, not just of getting into coverage, but keeping it. It's actually hard to keep covered through public programs. And there's a lot of opportunity for us to think about ways we can make that more streamlined and simple for people, reducing administrative burdens, which there's lots of documentation, tend to fall in very inequitable ways on certain populations that are more likely to be uninsured. So there's a lot of thinking for us going on, again, not just on kind of outreach and, and reaching a hard to reach 3%, but actually thinking about what do we do once we've touched people, once we've covered people to make it harder for them to fall out and have gaps in coverage. Um, so again, I think we have a lot of tools in Massachusetts that we can continue to build on in that space. And I don't think we should be satisfied with 3%. We cannot be. Um, we need to lead the way. And um, we love the healthy competition, but we do have a number of states that are, are, uh, are right on our heels. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunities and there's energy. And I think the commitment to coverage and affordability and equity and the Healing Driscoll administration um, and, and frankly, with the Biden administration, we have ex extremely supportive partners at the federal level who are um, just laser focused on coverage and expanding it in, in new and creative and forward leaning ways. So I think if there were ever a time we could go further, it's now and we just need to challenge ourselves to to not rest on our laurels and, and not, again, think about this uninsured population as people that um, you know, are, are obstinate uh, or, or refuse to heed the call. People want health care. People want health coverage. Um, they just need easier ways to get into it and for way, ways for it to be more affordable and accessible to them. Audrey, let me let me move from John's question about access to uh, focus on health care costs for a moment. You know, a few weeks ago, we had on the Blue Cross uh, of Massachusetts CEO, Sarah Isselin, and she spoke about the growing challenges as an insurer of dealing with uh, premium costs she has to offer to families and, and businesses, you know, noting that a lot of that pressure is coming from provider demands for higher payments. Um, so you face in some ways, arguably similar kinds of challenges. And so what are you doing about this? And what more would you like to try to do about the challenge of affordability in our state? Absolutely. And I, I absolutely agree with Sarah on this. I think, you know, we know cost has been a very serious issue in Massachusetts for a long time. It's always been kind of held out as this next frontier for us in terms of health reform. Obviously, we brought everybody into the boat in 2006 when we thought about coverage expansion and cost was the next frontier. I think the state has made great progress and commitment to cost through health policy commission's work, um, but it is not where it needs to be. And the pain that families across the Commonwealth are feeling we see constantly in data about rising costs. Just It is just a stranglehold um, on individual households, on small businesses and, and others, um, and, and really feels like it's, it's approaching kind of a, a, an emergency level 
from an economic perspective in terms of what it's it's crowding out of both you know individual household budgets as well as just our, our society big picture um and i know you know the health policy commission has put out data very recently that is just just staggering the cost of a family plan in massachusetts now about twenty five thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars it's just um incomprehensible um the the rise um in employee contributions since 2000 i i think has grown uh, four times uh, the rate of inflation, three times um, household income. So just untenable. And I think the connector's role here is um, is an interesting one. So obviously there's kind of the um, immediate relief that marketplaces like the connector provide to the situation, right? We provide help to low and moderate income households um, to kind of um, blunt the impact of premiums, of cost sharing and, and their increase. And in many ways, the Affordable Care Act, which we kind of wrap around with additional state subsidies through our connector care program, was very elegantly designed to continue to kind of grow with um, healthcare costs. Um, and so we have a lot of tools to be able to, to blunt that impact for people. And that's important. We have to continue to fight for those tools and make sure they're available to people for that immediate relief. While as a society, we figure out underlying healthcare costs, um, we don't believe that Healthcare costs and their unbridled growth should be borne by individuals and families. So we're, we're very happy um, and thankful we have tools to blunt that. Um, that being said, we have we serve a lot of people and there's a lot of people in Massachusetts who don't qualify for subsidies. And there is an underlying issue here that does need to be wrestled with. So some of the tools we have um, and are thinking about, um, I want to make sure I, I make a point that with those cost growth increases. In many ways, those statistics mask that we have incredible variation in our market in terms of healthcare costs based on networks. So if we're just talking about you know, different carriers and plans, one of the helpful things a marketplace does is isolate for people price differences based on network and brand. And I'm not saying that narrow network products or any particular kind of carrier model or cost structure is better or worse than the other. We're here to make sure that coverage is, is safe, that's comprehensive, and then we let the consumers choose. But we do see in what we put to market, there are incredible variations. We have within one metal tier, which sort of controls for actuarial value and a bunch of other wonky uh, dynamics, sometimes a, a, one carrier might be double what another carrier is for the exact same generosity level of plan. Um, so we see that the kind of- and, Excuse me, and that's based mainly in the fact that the providers in the more expensive network are higher priced providers, just to underscore the point. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and, and there's, there's other dynamics, I'm sure, in terms of the cost structure of the carrier, et cetera. But by and large, you could think about it as you're buying different networks and behind those networks are different providers and provider reimbursement arrangements. And so one of the tools we have is just giving people the power to say, I am price sensitive and I'm gonna pick this kind of a, of a plan. And we see people make very different choices in the individual market where they are able to make those choices more so than they are in the off exchange employer market. We do also make that capability available to small employers. I'm happy to talk more about that. Um, so there are some ways that people are finding their way and sort of voting with their feet to try to get to these lower cost options. So we are able to provide points of pressure in the market through the mass scale we have of shoppers who are saying, we can't do this anymore. Um, we need lower cost options. And we are able to provide in that way a market signal to carriers and through them, hopefully to the provider system as well, that 
um, we are just in an untenable place on cost. So those competitive dynamics, I just want to kind of lift up a bit because I think sometimes we're, we are not as articulate as we should be about how marketplaces can be kind of a um, play a role there. That being said, we are looking at what are the array of other tools the connector may have that it hasn't yet tapped into um, in terms of our role in the market as we think about affordability and cost above and beyond subsidies, which is sort of the, the most obvious immediate one. Um, one of the really um, just incredible um, policy tools that the connector has, and again, this is unique vis-a-vis um, -vis other states, we have contracts with every single major medical carrier in Massachusetts, and that's because drafters um, of Chapter 58 thought to make it a requirement that carriers need to participate on this exchange. We weren't going to make it optional. We saw how that worked nationally when it was a little bit more of a, um, you know, come to us if, you, if you'd like kind of, kind of an arrangement. So we are the doorway to really the full spectrum of the commercial market in the Commonwealth. Um, and I think between that and other state payers, Mass Health and the Group Insurance Commission, there's opportunity to think about how we, and in partnership with Health Policy Commission and others, how do we kind of consolidate an agenda around affordability and cost, again, across these different levers that the whole state has. We've got HPC doing great work um, around kind of where our system needs to go, where the issues are. We have a number of state payers. And again, the connector gets to play this really interesting role as a contractual gateway to all of these different carriers who are themselves contractual gateways to the full spectrum of the provider market here in Massachusetts. So I think there are untapped ways that we can be thinking about our role here um, that, that move us a little bit outside of being kind of a passive marketplace um, and, and moves us a little bit forward into um, how we can be tapping into the state's broader cost containment agenda, again, in, in concert with other state payers and programs. So more work to do. Um, there's a lot underway. And again, I think subsidies, competition, um, lots, lots of good foundational um, progress, but so much further we need to go because we're just not where, we're not in a sustainable place for, for Massachusetts residents on cost. Okay, uh, final question for you, Audrey. So. Uh, Massachusetts set up the first exchange, we call it the Connector, in 2007, and the ACA created a national option for states to set up their own or uh, to use the federal government to do it through the ACA in 2010, and that kicked in in 2014. Uh, currently, about 17 states, including the District of Columbia, run their own exchanges, and about 33 states just let the federal government do it. Massachusetts, of course, is one of the states that does it ourselves. All those states that do it, except for Idaho, are politically blue. So it seems like there's a partisan divide here. Um, what's the advantage to a state like Massachusetts or the other states to do it? We know the numbers have been growing about a half dozen over the past uh, seven or eight years or so. But why should Massachusetts do it when we could just let this go to the federal government and let the feds handle it? Yes. Yeah, so I love this question. Um, and this comes up a lot when we're with our other fellow marketplaces um, in DC and, and convening with, um, with folks in the ACA landscape around the country. So um, you, you're absolutely right. It was uh, the ACA contemplated 50 state-based marketplaces popping up. And of course, that's not what happened. Um, and in many ways, I think it's a similar story to Medicaid expansion where there was um, politics governing states' willingness to look like they were playing ball with the ACA, Obamacare. 
um, you know, at a, at a great loss to the residents that they serve. And it's been very, uh, in, very well documented, whether you're talking about Medicaid expansion or marketplaces, um, very material benefits for residents that was that were left on the table because of, of politics. The good news is we see that changing, um, certainly in the Medicaid expansion space. I mean, just an incredibly um, inspiring shift we've seen um, of, of states, you know, uh, finally coming into the fold on Medicaid expansion. On marketplaces, on setting up state-based marketplaces, similar. Um, as you noted, it was you know, sort of mostly blue states um, with, our, with our friend uh, in Idaho um, in, in the mix as well. Um, but we've seen in recent years, a number of other states come into the fold, Maine, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Virginia, um, a lot of which are purple or have purple legislatures um, and just a, a more diverse kind of political landscape. So to back into your question, what's it, what's in it for a state to have a state-based marketplace versus beyond the federal marketplace, which had to get established to step in for all these states that didn't come forward with their own exchanges? Um, it, to put it bluntly, it's vital for us. Um, all of the ingredients, the policy, the program ingredients that have made Massachusetts as successful as it has been on coverage expansion, that have gotten us to 97% coverage, that have kept us there, are really only available because we have a state-based marketplace. So the most important one I would point out is state subsidies. We haven't talked a lot about Connector Care, but Connector Care is the program that Massachusetts established actually under state health reform, so predating the ACA, for people up to 300% of the federal poverty level. And in a post-ACA universe, it takes ACA subsidies and then it wraps them with additional state investment around premium and cost sharing. It's an incredibly powerful policy tool for expanding coverage, keeping people covered, and um, minimizing uh, barriers to, uh, to care. Um, and so that was a very powerful policy statement the state wanted to make, again, back in 2006, when it wanted to expand coverage, and it did that through an exchange model. Um, and the ACA wasn't able to go as far as that from a financial perspective, um, but we wanted to keep those additional state dollars on the line to, to kind of hold people harmless here in the Commonwealth. The only way we are able to do that as a state to attach ACA federal subsidies to state subsidies is because we have a state-based marketplace. The connector collects premiums from its enrollees, most states don't, um, and we braid that together with federal subsidies and state subsidies so that the consumer gets one bill and it's not this big gobbledygook you know, mess of, oh, you know, where's this subsidy coming from? Where's that subsidy coming from? It's one streamlined process. And that's because we have a marketplace and we can consolidate um, the enrollment and premium billing process in that way. So that's just an example of something we just couldn't do if we were on the federal marketplace. Um, so that's key. The other area I would say is kind of more atmospheric. We know our market. These are our neighbors. These are our friends. These are our family members. These are the communities we're from and we know. Um, all, you know, working at a marketplace like the Connector, sort of like standing um, in the middle of a hundred-way intersection, we deal with with Mass Health, with our Medicaid colleagues, with the Division of Insurance, because we're technically in the commercial market. Um, we, we're, we're working with other state agencies. We're working with our local carriers. We're working with local consumer advocates. We're working with our local navigators and the list goes on and on and on. And to be in the space that we're collectively occupying, serving one population, one public here in Massachusetts, I just couldn't imagine trying to do that kind of end run through the federal government to come back in to service my own state. 
So, and I think I won't speak for other states, but I think that theme is very consistent when you speak with other states about why they set them up and why states took the plunge that weren't there originally. Um, and I would say too, it's been really, it's been one of the highlights of my career to get to work with other state officials um, who run marketplaces or are leaders um, in, in their market uh, marketplace spaces. And it's been fascinating, particularly to get to know folks in these states that kind of tipped over in recent years and how they made the case to their states, especially in states that were not necessarily politically hospitable to the Affordable Care Act. So a great example is in Pennsylvania, they made a dollars and cents case about it. Um, it wasn't about, you know, embrace of the ACA or kind of a political message. They made a dollars and cents case that their state was spending more money on being on the federal marketplace. It costs money. There's a user fee. So states are paying the federal government for the privilege of using its platform. And they figured we could take that money, set up our own marketplace. Oh, and by the way, fund a reinsurance program. Um, and so that's the way they made the case to, you know, a, a, a politically diverse legislature um, and got it effectuated. So it's been interesting to watch. And again, I think that's a theme with the ACA really um, intending for states to take the lead, providing a floor and a framework, but then letting states take the lead in the ways that work best for their markets. There's a reason that DOIs and Medicaid uh, agencies are state-based, and I think um, our, our colleagues at uh, CMS who run the federal marketplace do an amazing job, but I think in many ways, um, marketplaces um, at the state level are, are, are best able to serve their, um, their, their customers and their public because they know them and they're right there doing the work. Great. So Audrey Gasteyer, Executive Director of the Massachusetts Health Connector, thank you for your time and exploring this compelling and always interesting and dynamic landscape. And on behalf of my colleague, Paul Haddis, thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. We'll be back again next month. Uh, congratulations, Audrey, on your appointment and uh, best wishes and good luck going forward. And thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this uh, great session today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on.